following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. We're continuing our series I've entitled In the Wilderness uh, as we spend some time thinking about the Lord and his, his 40 days in the wilderness and the plan this week and the next two weeks is to look at the passage that was read from Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11 when the devil tempts or tests Jesus in the wilderness. As I've been saying, the wilderness is the place of the unknown. It's the place where we're most vulnerable. It's where we can't rely on those things we normally rely on. And over the past many while, I've, I've referred to how in the type of world we've been living in for a long, long time, we have so many things that human beings have made that we rely on. You know, we know what happens, for example, if the power grid should go down. My family and I weren't in the region uh, when the ice storm happened. We moved here in 2002 from the West Coast. And when was the ice storm? Was 98? Is that right? 98. Yeah. Um, But with relatives in Montreal and and all the rest, we followed it quite closely. And um, there, you know, there's some people, especially the people that live more in the rural areas that are a little bit more vulnerable, I have trouble with that word, vulnerable. Um, Most city dwellers don't have generators and and other things and and very few people have the the food stores and all the rest in case of emergency. Um, And so, in some places, you know, the power was, was gone for two weeks and more and, and this sort of thing. And how difficult that is when the things that we normally rely on simply aren't there. And there are various types of circumstances that could take us into a sort of wilderness. Unemployment, for example. Um, and you meet people that stay, have stable, good-paying jobs, it will happen here with the whole Nortel thing. Um, you had an empire, a business empire that collapsed. Um, I'm not sure how many people are aware that um, there's a system that the federal government uses for uh, payments called the Phoenix system. And this Phoenix hasn't yet seemed to risen from the ashes, or however that story actually goes. But there have been people, some of the hardships I've heard because of some sort of technical problem with this payment system that has made life very difficult for, for people. Um, so unemployment, as I said, is one of those wilderness experiences. I've learned as someone who I've had a very interesting um, employment kind of life myself. I've been more self-employed than, than technically employed and experienced the ups and downs of all sorts of, of work, both in ministry-type work and in other kinds of, of business dealings, and all the while raising 10 children. Um, when our daughter Hannah was born, number five, living in Vancouver, we didn't even have a vehicle at that time. 
And so that was more interesting. And uh, a story I've been meaning, meaning to tell you is around that time, we were going through a very interesting time with, with our church affiliation, and there was the, the good parts and maybe the not-so-good parts about that, and then there's the, the growing family, and um, I'd laid down ministry uh, after 10 years of full-time ministry following Bible college and um, looking for other kinds of work and got some training and had some full-time employment and then Hannah was born and we didn't have a vehicle and then God provided us with this beautiful do you remember those those cute Toyota vans where the where the driver sat over the front wheel some of you might know they looked like a little tiny kind of like a space pod and uh, the pastor of the church we were going to he was he bought a new vehicle was going to sell it and the Lord prompted him to give us give us his vehicle and that's not the only vehicle we've been given in our lives. And the Lord knew that the contract, the full-time contract I had was going to be ending. I didn't know that. I, I thought it was going to continue. We were at a, a small group meeting. It was actually a meeting for a small, it was small group leader training. We were going to be starting our own small group in this thriving church in the Vancouver area. And we were all praying for one another. And uh, in, in that congregation, something... I believe God speaks, and we sat together, prayed for another, and tried to discern what God might be saying to uh, to each of us. And one of those things I remember, like yesterday, there was Robin and, and my turn to kind of be in the hot seat, be prayed for, and uh, one of the other people in the room said, I believe you're entering into a, t- into a wilderness time. And I thought, no. We've been in the wilderness. What we've been through and laying stuff down, storing things. We, we moved to Vancouver with all of our things in boxes. We mailed things to Vancouver and uh, um, having to trust in the Lord for all sorts of things. And, and he proved faithful to us. And now I had this new training in, in computer software. And I, was, and I already had some work and everything's looking good. And, I'm being, and this word comes that I was entering into the wilderness so, and, and rightly so just because somebody says they discern something about you it doesn't mean that it's right right we need to go to God when people say things like that to us well I had no idea what kind of wilderness I was going to be going into at that point as my contract ended and now I'm a self-employed computer trainer with almost no experience and it was quite a wilderness time and yet Yet again, Rob and I were kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, last night before bed. In May, we're celebrating 42 years. Like how in the world, 42 years of marriage, how in the world did that happen? We don't have, we have 10 kids. None of them are minors anymore. Um, our daughter, Abigail, is, uh, is engaged. Um, and all of things are happening in our family. Just all these things that God has done. And uh, we've been through a lot and God has been faithful through it all. It hasn't all felt good. And that's what, not only wilderness times, you, know, you read Paul and, and others in the New Testament, and, and I'm currently in my own time, I'm reading Ephesians, which is just a one, it starts so wonderfully about all this, these spiritual blessings we've received, like all of heaven's resources are at our disposal, and yet, you read, if you read what the Word says, we don't live in a friendly environment. 
We never do. Sorry. We never do. Sometimes, sometimes are harder than other times. The disappointments, the, the loss, the grief, the, the, the illnesses, the disappointments, the, the misunderstandings, the uh, betrayals, and all sorts of things that happen to us in life as believers. And so now we have the Lord um, had, had just been uh, baptized by John, and we read how the Spirit drives him or leads him into the wilderness to be tempted, and the word could also mean tested by the devil. I wonder still, you know, some people, even churchgoers, have trouble with the whole concept of devil. Um, that, that, that there's a personal devil, also called Satan. Um, well, if you have trouble with that, you come up with some other explanation of the vile evil that exists in this world. And I'm not just talking about the, the, some of the difficult oopses, accidents that happen, but the vile vile evil that exists in the hearts of human beings and if we're honest with ourselves in our hearts as well. Where does that come from? Is that some sort of evolutionary glitch? Well, it sure seems like there's a personality behind it. And, you know, there used to be more common, you know, when, you, when you're watching shows, I mentioned this last time, you're watching shows and movies today, there's less and less allusions and references to biblical things. Now, I don't really believe this is biblical, but you remember all those cartoons and movies with the, you have the angel and the demon on the person's shoulders and the one's trying to say to do the right thing and one's trying to say to do the, the, the wrong thing, that kind of idea. Well, however you depict it, that's a thing. That is a thing. Now, whether you actually hear voices, and if you're hearing voices, I'd like to talk to you about that. But however we're hearing whatever we're hearing, however they're coming from, whether they're from mom, mom might be long dead, but they, mom, like I often find maybe it depends on who your parents were. Mom's voice tends to resound a lot louder and longer. At least that's been my experience. Maybe you, it's dad. Um, And they could be long gone, but boy, those voices are still there. You know, some of you are making your bed, made your bed this morning because that made, made mom happy. And, no, and, and we're still being driven or led by some of these voices. And there's another voice. And it's a horrific, evil voice. And to think that, so this is how the ministry of the Lord Jesus began, thrust into this very difficult situation for the sole purpose to be tempted by the devil. Now, the whole Bible begins with somewhat of a similar scene, not such a hostile environment in the Garden of Eden. And there weren't that many tests. There was only one, and our first parents failed. And that's, that opened the floodgates into all the the, the brokenness of human experience ever since. And so it's fitting that when the, the, the second Adam, as Paul calls him uh, in the book of Romans, comes onto the scene, that he gets the opportunity to, to face the same sort of thing that our first parents faced. And so he's, he's driven into the wilderness. It's God's will that he's there. That's so important. That's so important. 
The challenges we face, I, don't, I can't say how they all work, and I can't speak for your individual situations. But there are times where God himself leads us into very difficult, trying situations. Sometimes we're there because of our own foolishness. Sometimes we're there because God himself has led us there. That was the case of the Lord. If it was the case of the Lord, how much more ourselves? He leads them there to be tested, tempted by the devil, and praise him. He withstood those temptations, unlike what happened to Adam and Eve. And by withstanding those temptations, he set the stage for our deliverance so that we could be remade. That we, and that we could join him on the continuing quest of overcoming the evil one. There's this false notion that I believe has gotten a lot of God's people into big trouble. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again, especially as we look at this sort of thing. This idea that Jesus did all these good things, conquering evil and death and sin, And we're simply the benefactors of that. And there are scriptures that talk about that, that we've received an inheritance because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we could just be there and we just receive it and we're good. But that's not the whole picture. Jesus conquered evil so that we could follow him and face evil. And it's so sad to me that there are believers that are in this denial that bad things don't happen to us. And and if bad things happen, oh, we brought it upon ourselves. We must have been thinking bad thoughts. And so then bad rain kind of come from this. Like there is so much superstition among God's people. And we're we're not following what scripture actually says. That God is often the one who leads us into difficult things. And, you know, in that same book of Ephesians that I'm spending my own personal time in, in chapter 6, it's actually one of the reasons why I chose this book to read right now. It's, I was reading something else and it kind of got me interested in something that I never fully gave thought to. And it's the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, a lot of people teach the Bible as if you don't need the armor. Jesus is the armor. He's our umbrella. The rain never falls on us sort of thing. And if we kind of can, can connect with the reality that he's just taking care of it all, then we could just kind of skip through life and enjoy the blessings. Well, I don't know which Bible they're reading or you're reading. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus has gone before us so that we could follow his example. And my brothers and sisters, if we don't take on the equipment that God has given to us and has put at our bestowal, we are sitting ducks. And we are going to find ourselves um, on the wrong side of the battle, unnecessarily wounded. We've been called to the winning side, but there's still a battle to be fought, and we need to be battle-wise. And the foundation of being battle-wise is to understand the wiles of the evil one and to know how to resist him and to know how to stand against that constant barrage, 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 thank you, of, 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 of his assaults. 
And so let's, let's start with, with the first temptation. Uh, the plan is to do the next two over the next couple of weeks. So as we already read chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Maybe Matthew is underlining for us as something that I've, I've tried to, to make clear in the past, that when, when God became a man in Jesus, he became a true human being. He gave up his divine privileges and lived just like you and me. So Matthew is underlining for us here that when he went through this hard-to-believe fasting time, it's possible he drank water. It's possible he drank water. I don't know. Doesn't say that he did. Doesn't say that he didn't. But he certainly didn't eat food for 40 days in a very hostile environment. And he was hungry. Probably one of the greatest understatements in the entire Bible. And the tempter came, verse 3, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God. If is a bit of a funny word, grammatically, because if can mean since. Um, so if, 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 this is, if this is really you, please... If this is you, do this. It's not, he may not be challenging here by saying if, challenging his identity, though there is some identity things that happen as we work through these three temptations. Um, but it sounds more as if what he's saying is like, okay, you're the son of God, eh? I'm sorry if I'm making the devil sound too Canadian. So uh, you're, but I imagine that the, when the devil operates in Canada, he talks Canadian. Anyway, don't quote me on that. Um, you're the son of God, A. Eh? Solve your problem. Do what you can do. And resolve your suffering. But the Lord's answer, verse 4, but he answered, it's, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, right away, we see a principle of life from God that we need to take seriously. And especially in our very, very advanced scientific technological age. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So that's pretty clear from this. It's not about a question of can. It's a question of should. But the reasoning that's going on here is that being who he was, he had both the power and the right, it's the implication was, he had the power and the right to manipulate the material world to satisfy a real need. And that's no small temptation, especially since he was getting it to the point of starvation. It gets very easy for us to go, yeah, but it's Jesus. But it's Jesus. He couldn't die of starvation. First of all, just thought it was a new word. He was dieable. I guess that's why we say mortal, right? He, he, it's not as if he couldn't die. He truly died on the cross. It wasn't a question of could he die. It was a question of when was he going to die. He had a mission to fulfill. This was not his time to die. Oh, so maybe it would be a good time to do a little miracle for himself and turn some rocks into, into, into fresh hot buns. But no. 
He was, that was not what he was to do. He was not to simply use his ability to satisfy himself. The, the need and the ability do not justify the suggested course of action. Now, you might think, well, why doesn't he just ignore the devil? Like, kind of a buzzing mosquito, pretty hard to ignore. Just kind of ignore him. But he doesn't. He responds to the devil every time, which leaves us an example to follow. Often we think, oh, we just ignore those temptations. And it doesn't always work. That's why we need the armor of God. That's why we need to learn how to respond like Jesus did. Now, of course, there's some times where it's, it's appropriate to ignore. And sometimes thoughts go through our mind. They're, very, they're fleeting. But other times, the devil is after us. What are we going to do about it? Now, what was really wrong? What was really wrong about changing stones to bread to satisfy his hunger? Well, first of all, listening to the devil is always a bad idea. Listening to the devil is always a bad idea. How he knew it was the devil, I don't know. Sometimes we know. He seemed to know. And often we know when that temptation comes to do whatever that might be. You know it's not God. I know it's not God. Don't listen to those things. But mainly what seems to be going on here is that the reason why he didn't change stones to bread is God did not direct him to do it. That was the main reason. What was at stake? Well, upon whom was he relying? Was he going to rely on himself and his ability? Never mind suggestions coming from the mouth of the devil. But he knew that Living life, not just his life, not just his life, but living life truly is a life that is directed by the word of God. That is what was read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the verse that he quoted. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I call this mouth of God living as opposed to bread alone living. I mentioned this before, I will repeat it. Bread alone living. Many people misunderstand Deuteronomy 8.3, as if what God was teaching the people of Israel and what Jesus quotes to the devil is saying, um, we don't only live by bread, but we also live by God's word. And that sort of makes sense. We've got our physical needs, we've got our spiritual needs, and you've got you to have both, both categories. But that's not what it says. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. These are two different ways of living. One is driven by the belly. It's driven by the appetites. It's driven by the physical desires. Some of those physical desires are, are out of bounds completely. They are sin. But being hungry, it's nothing wrong with that. Eating food, nothing wrong with that. Preparing meal, that's all good things. But so much of human life or all of human history has been driven 
by survival, by our personal prosperity, by our physical needs, wants, and desires, focused on things like our retirement, on our investments, or that check, it's everything to do with that check, whatever it is, wrapped up in fulfilling personal and, and our family's material desires and wants. They are important, but they are not to be the focus and they are not to be that which leads us in how we live. That which leads us in how to live is to be the word of God. And this is how Jesus lived his life and he lived it as an example for us to follow. Now the word is both the written word of God, the scriptures, the Bible, and how God speaks by his spirit, which I mentioned earlier in the story, when I was accurately prophesied to me that I was entering into a wilderness time. Now remember, I rejected that word, but when I found myself in a, a more difficult wilderness than I thought I was already in, I was able to remember that God had told me beforehand. And that really, really helped. Note that even though Jesus heard the voice of his father, his reliance was on scripture. He didn't say to the devil, my father in heaven told me not to listen to you, devil. So, you know, he didn't do that. He stood in the word of God, the recorded, dependable, authoritative word of God. That's what Jesus did. We're going to look next week, I think it's next week, when the devil himself quotes scripture at Jesus and and what Jesus did about that. Well, we know what what he did about that. He continued, he quoted scripture back. I'll explain that when we get there. The son of God quoted Bible to the devil. If he did that, how much more should we? But for us to do that, we need to know the scripture. You know, it's very, it's very uh, popular among many people to memorize Bible verses. I've, I've done it from time to time. It's a good thing to do. But there's a bit of a problem when us more moderns Uh, memorized Bible verses. I mean, I'm not telling you not to do it. But in Jesus' day, many, many, especially the men, had the the whole five books of Moses memorized. They didn't have access to scrolls in their home. And yet, in that more oral type society, they memorized the five books of Moses, many of the Psalms, portions of the prophets. And so when Jesus quotes a verse, what we now call, they didn't have verses back then. They got chopped up over time into verses with little numbers on them. That happened many, many hundreds of years later. When Jesus quotes scriptures, he understands them in context. It's, he's speaking far more than what the, that particular verse says. So if you do Memorize scripture, I encourage you to read them within the context that they're found and not in complete isolation. 
So when we, when this whole idea, that which he fires back at the devil of a man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's saying that the scriptures and all that God says is sufficient to inform all of life. This was not just a spiritual battle, as if the spiritual world exists outside the material one. Obviously not. They were talking about food. He was talking about his physical needs. And that was the very first thing the devil went at. And in the context of the need to satisfy his hunger, he makes a statement that everything we do must be derived from what God says. All scripture, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is supreme. It informs everything. It is over everything. And I'll end with this. I have the impression that many believers see the scriptures as simply informing spiritual things. But it doesn't. The scripture informs everything. It begins with telling us about how God created the heavens and the earth. The universe is wrapped up in God's intentions, in God's perspective on that universe. And that we were called to um, rule over, over planet Earth. That's what we are here for. And our rule over planet Earth is not simply kind of being spiritual beings that happen to be in physical bodies, but people who are called to navigate the, all, everything to do with life from the perspective of God's Word. And so the Bible actually informs everything. It's not as if it only informs certain things and there's other things, such as, for example, science and technology that I've already referred to. Like, science and technology don't exist in their own sphere as if, well, uh, this, is, this is a different kind of truth. And there are believers that teach this sort of thing. There's a thing called common grace, this idea that God has enabled human beings to discover things that are good and true in the world without necessarily uh, discovering from the Bible. And that's true. We don't, Newton didn't discover uh, gravity by necessarily reading the Bible, but he believed in an ordered universe. He believed that because God made an orderly universe that you could discover principles that you could um, analyze and are dependable. And I can go much longer than that, but I won't. But remember what I said earlier. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. So, however, science and technology, including medicine and other things like that, and engineering and all these other things, however we understand them in relationship to the Bible, remember, technical, technological discoveries only show us what we can do, but they don't show us what we should do. And the shoulds are derived from Scripture. What we're for, what the world is for, what our inventions are for, is all found in the scriptures. And so unless we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, we are going to succumb to the devil's temptations and find us in a very, very dark,
dangerous, destructive place. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that you would reveal to us more and more what your word is saying, what you're saying by your spirit, that we would live by every word that comes from your mouth, and that you would open our eyes to see the wiles of the evil one, that we would be able to stand in your strength by the power of your word, not only resist him but overcome him, and live the life that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.